Hello and welcome to the Land Party Lawyers podcast, where we discuss issues at the intersection of video games, law, and business. I am one of your hosts, Stephen Blickensdurfer. And I am the other host, Nick Brown. And today we are going to be discussing FTC endorsement guidelines as they apply to online influencers. We promise it's more interesting than that sounds. Yeah, that's a really wordy title. I'll work, I'll work on that for next time. So this is a cool episode. We're going to be interviewing Justin Wales, a senior counsel at Carlton Fields who co-chairs the blockchain practice group. He also has a robust First Amendment practice and has lots of opinions about this topic, so we're going to get right into it. He also has had many clients affected by these rules and offers a unique perspective on what we're going to be talking about today. So this is a little different of an episode. We're going to also do a 1v1 showdown in addition to the interview, where we're going to put Justin in one corner and one of us in the other. And, uh, you know, it'll probably be Nick's champion. Justin will be Nick's champion uh, facing off uh, against one of us. And we're going to be debating about these regulations. That's so a nice way of saying Nick may not argue. Yeah, I, all right. I just kind of gave it away. I, so. vol- I volunteer as tribute. <laughs> there we go. So, okay. So why don't you start us off, Nick? What are we talking about today when we say these FTC regulations and for online influencers? Sure. So as we talked about a little bit in our data privacy episode of the podcast, everyone who's engaged in trade and commerce is federally regulated by the FTC Act, whether they know it or not, specifically Section 5. Under that legislation, you can't engage in, quote, deceptive and unfair trade practices. It's about half the stuff you do. No comment. All states also have laws that regulate trade. It's not just a federal issue. Uh, You can't be unfair and deceptive in your trade wherever you go in the United States. Some violations of state laws might result in state attorney generals, uh, you know, bringing investigations and actions, and it may even involve private causes of action by people alleged to have been harmed by the practices. But today, we're going to be focusing on the federal regulation uh, that comes in through the, uh, the FTC Act. So as you described, Nick, the FTC goes after businesses on that national interstate commerce side of things. So how do they do this? It usually starts with investigation. It always starts with investigation. But this may be prompted by the consumer. Uh, You know, people may not know that you can lodge complaints to the FTC about businesses. And that's oftentimes how they hear about businesses doing nefarious things. So the FTC will then reach out to the business or individual and in the form of a letter. Usually it takes the form of like a cease and desist, stop what you're doing, we're, we've got our eyes on you. We're watching you. Kind of thing, exactly. And then it may escalate, depending on what happens, to a complaint against the individual or company for corrective action. Sometimes this is filed within the agency itself, sometimes in federal court. Uh, and then if it continues from there, you may end up with a settlement agreement, oftentimes including a consent order. If the agreement's breached, a judgment's going to be entered. So that's typically what will happen. Um, what you're going to agree to in the settlement, usually it's, it's uh, paying a, a sum of money. Is it a fine? No, it's typically like a disgorgement of profits where you have to give back what you, you illicitly gain through your, through your bad conduct. So you have to pay us the money, but it's not called a fine. Uh, yeah, man. This, that's why, you know, lawyers, it's all about the wording. So, uh, so this, but this is a As form As we'll of, see in a few minutes, it can come down to just a couple letters. A couple letters. Uh, so it, in this, it's basically injunctive relief. Stop what you're doing and pay back what you, what you shouldn't have earned from this. So 
that's that's the overview of what the FTC will do. And so the reason the legal issues arise here uh, with respect to endorsements is because endorsing products is considered a part of trade. Didn't think, didn't, it's, it's not obvious, but it is. Well, the FTC has actually published endorsement guidelines uh, that apply generally to anyone who markets and endorses products. Uh, these guidelines have been around since the 80s. They were revised in 2009 and again most recently in 2015. And they cover, you know, anything that's an advertisement or an endorsement. So just one example, TV advertisement, you got a prominent golfer hitting a golf ball and says, wow, this is the best golf ball. It goes farther than anyone else. I want to buy that golf ball. I, I would, too, uh, I guess, depending on the advertiser, right? Because then my game will be better. Well, yeah, you could use some help in that regard, I think. Uh-huh. Spend too much time playing video games. Uh, it would also apply to infomercials. It would apply all across the board. And as we're going to see in a few like, minutes. Like Chuck Norris? to his his latest exercise toy i think it could as we'll see in a few minutes it's also been applied to social media influencers i think there's an exception it's called the chuck norris exception the F, section five doesn't apply to him yeah he's he's above that uh so anyways the guidelines uh that the ftc has put out they represent the agency's interpretations of section five of the ftc act as it applies to endorsements of products and the whole point their intent is to protect consumers from deceitful and unfair practices so why is this important? Courts are often required under the law to defer to an agency's interpretation of its own rules. So these guidelines should be taken very seriously, even though they're not necessarily traditional legislation. And the guidelines, what they say is that an act or practice is deceptive if it misleads, quote, a significant minority, end quote, of consumers. So it doesn't even have to mislead everybody. It doesn't have to mislead most people. It just has to mislead a significant minority. Up to 49%, maybe, something like that. Uh, That's above my pay grade, what the number (laughs) is. I think that's what people argue. But what we do know is that if an endorsement is deceptive, then both the advertiser and the endorser are responsible. Okay. And so the the, uh, incentive to comply goes all the way up the chain. All right. Uh, So why is this a big deal for the industry for, for those who don't know, gamers, content producers, and other online influencers make money from endorsements, from sponsorships of products, including their own products, if, if they had side hustles, side businesses. Some gamers have been so popular that they ha- they're considered crossover stars. A recent example of that being uh, Tyler Blevins, who's also known as and more famously known as Ninja, the Fortnite player who plays with celebrities such as Drake and makes uh, a lot of money. Each year in I the millions. I think he just hosted the New Year's special on TV this past year. He also hosted Thursday Night Football online. So he, he's, he's done quite a different, a lot of different things online uh, in, in different areas, not just Fortnite. Um, and so these types of gamers can make millions of dollars each year coming from a mix of online sponsorships, ad revenues, and businesses that they own. Side and hustles. Side hustles, exactly. So, and stat of the day, Nick, this blew me away. 49% of global consumers use influencer marketing to learn about new brands and products they might be interested in. Wow, so half of the world uh, uses these sorts of things. No wonder the FTC is so interested yeah, in it. Yeah, pretty much. Well, as influencers have gained prominence on social media platforms, the FTC, correspondingly, has paid increasing attention to their disclosures of relationships to brands, and the FTC has stepped in where they thought they weren't doing a good enough job. Even though these are just individuals, and they're not necessarily companies engaged in trade in the ordinary sense that you and I would kind of expect. And so the FTC has applied their endorsement guidelines that we just talked about to online influencers, and recently that includes gamers. 
Uh, this represents a very real regulation of an industry that has otherwise been pretty unregulated up until now. Uh, there really hasn't been a lot of action, but recently that's begun to change. And so because this is a developing area, there is a lot of uncertainty. But we have learned a few things already from the few cases we've seen. Steve? That's right. The, the FTC uh, first applied these rules to individual influencers in 2017. So there's a game, Counter-Strike Global Offensive. We're going to call it CSGO from now on. And, and CSGO gamers Trevor Martin, T. Martin, and Tom Cassell, Pro Syndicate, uh, are also online influencers with millions of followers on YouTube. And so they endorsed an online gambling website called uh, for CSGO's crate and, and loot box items that include skins that could be traded called CS Lotto. Got to do a quick plug here, Steve. We talked about loot boxes on the first episode of our podcast. You should really check it out. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. Um, so on this site, CS Lotto, players could pretty much gamble their skins and other transferable in-game items, which, again, they had value and could ultimately be, be sold for cash. And so the way it was set up is that you would challenge others to what worked out to be like a one-on-one -on -one coin flip, a virtual coin flip, or like if you had multiple people, a roulette stylized random outcome where the, the, the thing would just fall on somebody and one person in that group would win the so entire, the entire bundle. Let me get this straight. Everyone involved, whether it was two people or more would put up something they would leave the chance to the computer, computer would make a flip, and then all of those items would go to the same person depending on how the randomized generator came out? Right. Okay. It, it, the, the website would then communicate to Steam and would ish, initiate a trade, and basically you'd be trading away your, your items. Or however it worked, it worked something like that. So, so then you have these influencers who claim to be making thousands of dollars on this site. So let me just give you a couple of samples of the video titles in, in, T, in, in T. Martin's videos. And this is, I'm not going to scream at you, but this is an all caps. <laughs> but they are all caps, yeah. yeah. How to win $13,000 in five minutes, parentheses, CSGO betting. And $24,000 coin flip, huge CSGO betting and giveaway. Yeah, again, thank you for not yelling at me. But it, it, so the, the You could tell that was all yeah, caps it was by all, the way yeah. I read it. Yeah. So the problem here is that they failed to mention that they were also part owners of the company. They, apparently, they, f they felt it wasn't a secret that they also founded this company, CS Lotto. Right, and that's a problem because their videos made it seem like they had no connection whatsoever to this, this online uh, betting uh, operation. In particular, in one video, they said, I think it was T. Martin, said that he, quote, found this gambling site. When really, I think found dead would have been more accurate because they were the ones behind the website itself. All right, two letters changed the it was, it was the difference maker here, which is pretty incredible. Like we said earlier, it can come down to just a couple of letters. And not only did they do that, but they also paid other people to promote the site as well, but again, with no disclosures as required under the F FTC guidelines. So what did the FTC do? Like we said, it investigated, it sent them letters, and when that didn't uh, get them, the, the gamers to be in compliance, the FTC filed an agency complaint. Now this is really interesting. This was the first of its kind that was ever filed against individual influencers. So people, not companies, not corporations. And they filed it and said that by failing to disclose their connection to the CSGO uh, betting website, the FTC alleged that they violated Section 5 of the FTC Act. 
and they ultimately settled with the with the uh, the individuals and entered into a consent order. Steve, what did the consent order do? Right, and so this consent order basically required them to do a bunch of different things and still doing into the future. So first, stop what you're doing. Stop making misrepresentations. Next, and this is in quotes, clearly and conspicuously disclose material connections with an endorser or between an endorser and any promoted product or service. The idea being uh, that consumers should know when influencers are being paid or having uh, a connection, a material connection to brand the brand that's being endorsed. And, and to do that, the FTC requires in this consent order use of unambiguous language and to make the disclosure, quote, stand out. So, for example, consumers viewing posts on their Instagram uh, streams on mobile devices, they typically only see the first three lines uh, of a longer post unless they click on the more uh, link. I don't know if you've seen that. And many consumers may not even click on the more. And the FTC recognizes that, and they say you should disclose any material collection connection above that more button. Pretty FTC interesting. is a little more uh, social media savvy than some people might give them credit for. Huh? Th than you, I imagine. Way more than me. And they also recommend not burying an endorsement in hashtags and links that readers might, might, might skip over. So the FTC, in addition, in this consent order required compliance reports, and this is a big one, uh, you know, you have to say that you're still in compliance and this is what you're doing, and, and records of this for years. And this order, this consent order, remains in place for 20 years. 20 that, years? 20 years, and that's typical for FTC consent orders for this to be hanging over your head for a number of years. So, you know, that's one thing, right? And, and these gamers, in particular, also face tremendous blowback from the gaming community, um, I'm not sure if it affected their bottom line, but I imagine it must have. You'd think. Well, you know, what's interesting about this is that's just one case. Uh, but in 2017 alone, the FTC sent 90 educational letters and 21 warning letters to individual social media influencers. It told them to clearly and conspicuously disclose their relationships to brands when promoting or endorsing products through social media. And so the important thing is, you know, don't expect this trend to die down. It's actually just ramping up. Just because it's only happened uh, in that one big case we know about, you know, it looks like the FTC is making moves to do this more often. And just recently, in early 2019, a nonprofit organization called Truth in Advertising actually sued the FTC uh, over what it alleged to be 1,400 undisclosed sponsored social media posts in an attempt to get the FTC to investigate even more of these instances. And even then, it's more than that, Nick. It's, this is actually a global trend. The UK and many other countries have similar laws and policies like this. In particular, the Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA, is a British government agency that regulates advertising. And it recently sent, in 2019, numerous warning letters to British celebrities and other social media influencers. And these warning warnings mirror those sent in 2017 uh, by the FTC. So and what's also notable is that in the UK, violations of this law, from what I understand, could include jail time. Wow. Now, which is not something that happens no, here. No, thank you. So, all right. So we're going to shift gears now and move to the interview portion. We're going to bring Justin Wales into this conversation and, and get his, his two cents. So, Justin, welcome again to the podcast. And let's talk a little bit about this. Um, but first, I want to start off with like a warm-up question. Sure. Okay. Uh, so who is your idol? John Lennon. Okay. So let's... How would you feel if John Lennon promoted an amazing music festival mm -hmm. in a remote location, mm -hmm. didn't disclose that he or she, that he was paid to make that endorsement? Mm -hmm. 
Next, imagine that you paid good money for that festival mm-hmm. and turned out to be a bust. Wouldn't you feel slighted by that endorsement? I'd just be happy John Lennon was alive. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> very, very fair. So that would that would be enough for you. I disagree <laughs> with the premise. You would be thrilled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So one of, that, that was just a, you know, a for fun question, but tell us, what is your... What I is had your, a lot of fun with that question. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you tell us some of your experiences with some of these, these in, uh, guidelines? Sure. So my, my, uh, my background is in uh, the First Amendment. I've been a constitutional litigator. I'm also the head of the uh, firm Carlton Fields Blockchain and Virtual Currency Practice Group. Um, and, you know, really what we do both on the First Amendment side and on the crypto side is deal with the interaction and changes that come from applying existing laws to new forms of communication and new forms of technology. So FTC guidelines on what uh, influencers uh, can and cannot say, whether these are social media guidelines applying to companies or regular folks or to professions such as the legal profession. There's a lot of um, questions about how do you deal with um, new forms of interaction. Additionally, there's once you get into the idea of uh, promoting or selling things like securities online, you have a whole other set of uh, guidelines and restrictions. And uh, really, it's um, a challenge at an agency level because you have agencies who do not create the laws. They are there interpreting laws that are passed by legislatures. And uh, they enter into all sorts of consent agreements. They enter into all types of settlements with uh, those who they want to uh, enforce against and that creates a s- series of precedents that sometimes are not challenged and then you get into a, a situation like we have now where it seems like there's pretty clear-cut guidelines but then when you go and, and, and sort of fiddle around the edges you see that it, there's a lot of uncertainty as to the constitutionality of some of these guidelines as to the applicability of some of these guidelines there's huge gaps in some instances where um, a type of interaction may be deemed a violation of the FTC if done on one platform or by one type of person, whereas on another, it would just be a regular day-to-day communication. In your experience, Justin, mm-hmm. is the enforcement of these rules consistent across uh, markets, across individuals, across companies, or ha- have there been a lot of trouble in, in finding consistent rules? There, there's been a lot of uh, difficulty, and part of that is the way that an agency Um, typically goes after folks is they find someone who has been egregious or the um, CSGO is a great example. Mm -hmm. These were people who were promoting an online gambling gambling platform saying that they just found it had nothing to do with you know and had nothing to do with them they were promoting it they were getting the profits off of that promotion well that's pretty easy application of some of FTC guidelines. Um, The problem becomes is that application in the consent agreement effectively now dictates what other influencers do, even though there might not be this nefarious intent. And and this is a result of individuals becoming brands. There's a question, and I, I think we'll probably get to this in, in, in a second, um, of what is commercial speech? Right. I was just going to go there. Yeah. Okay. Go, go there. Well, I'm I, there. Tell me where this fits in the rubric of a First Amendment analysis. If, if, if I'm an individual, so you have a government agency, so you have the government uh, telling me what I can and cannot say sure. or what I should say on my, my tweet or my Instagram post or online, um, where's the line between that's okay and no, you're violating my First Amendment right? Well, it's, it's even difficult to pinpoint the line. Now, you said earlier uh, in, in one of the introductions that... Um, 
courts have to give deference to agency interpretations. Well, that's true. But an agency interpretation does not supersede the Constitution. It doesn't supersede your, your inalienable rights. Mm -hmm. So if you think of you know, our laws as a, as a pyramid, the Constitution is on top, and the agencies and the, the regulations have to abide by those principles. Now, there's a lot of difficulty in trying to apply those principles to modern technology. And why is that? It's because modern technologies were not contemplated by the founders. So you have the First Amendment, which is a, a, a series of contradictions. I'm pretty sure I saw a line about the Internet and the Bill of Rights. Well, it's, it's, it's funny. In 2017, the Supreme Court of the United States, have you heard of it? Supreme Court? Uh, yes, that one, yes. That. <laughs> the Supreme Court of the United States had a case called Peckingham versus North Carolina. And that case dealt with a North Carolina restriction on felons who uh, had, you know, were, were sex offenders. And they said that, you know, while on parole, you couldn't um, uh, interact with any websites that allowed minors to either uh, participate in social media communications or have their own, quote, web space. Wow. So what ended up happening was this guy who had been, you know, convicted and he was not on parole for, for sex offenses. He was involved in, you know, a traffic dispute. He had got a traffic ticket. He went to traffic court. He got the case dismissed. And he went on Facebook and he said, praise Jesus, the court found me not guilty. The case was dismissed. And his parole officer saw that, revoked his parole, and put him, put him back in jail. Wow. So that case went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And what the Supreme Court ended up saying is that um, you cannot prevent someone from utilizing a form of mass communication, a network that allows expressive content merely to prevent some harm that could be prevented from uh, in, in a different, in, in a, a more narrowly tailored way. Even as a parolee, not just even a, as e a even private as, standard citizen. Even as a parolee. Now, they didn't say, you know, what the line was, but they said this was clearly too far because under wow. this particular statute, things like, I think, like recipes.com, I think pauladeen.com was, was an example of a type of site. That's that a very you, popular social media. It site. is. It's one of my favorites. Among a certain group. Uh, you couldn't even go to things like that. So it was preventing you from interacting with the world. And here's what's so amazing about that, that case. They talk about how the nature of, revo they, they say the nature of a revolution is such that even its founders, even its innovators could not predict where it will lead. Now what they're doing is they're talking about the internet. They're talking about these changes in communications. Mm -hmm. But the quote was from Benjamin Rush. Hmm. And what was he talking about? Democracy. So it's this idea that the Supreme Court, and Justice Kennedy says this, the Supreme Court should not regulate technology to such a degree that we are harming future ability, the, the fut future population's ability to communicate freely. Now, you can extrapolate that principle mm -hmm. to things like SEC or FTC or all sorts of state regulations on the ability to interact online. And that's really what we're, we're talking about. So where the line is, is it's... It's unclear because we are still developing um, the technology by which we, we communicate. So how does someone on Instagram properly um, demonstrate that they are being sponsored by someone? Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of it depends on the intent of the post, right? Right. So the FTC put out guidelines regarding a, a tennis player. I don't know if you, you saw this. And they said that if a tennis player had, I think it was like ankle surgery, and they went on television, and part of the, the contract for the ankle surgery was they had to go and talk about that on, tenet, on, on, on television, then they have to clearly disclose that. 
However, really? if, they're, if they're sponsored by a, you know, a, a sports apparel brand, and they go on that same television show wearing the sports apparel brand. That's, that's, that's not it. That's not enough. That, then you don't have to. Right. Now, and why is that? It's Can because, they, like, point to it and wink? Well, it, it's unclear because one of the things that the FTC said was, and the reason why is because you're not making any, any um, statements about the quality of the brand. Now, if I'm Tiger Woods and I'm wearing Nike... I'm buying Nike. Why? Because I think that it's good enough for Tiger Woods. Right. Sure. Or it sounds like a statement of quality to me, statement by act, but right? Where, but where does that end? Because you could be wearing anything on TV, and is it going to always require a disclosure? Well, it, 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 look, the, the FTC is not a, new, a newly created uh, entity, right? These regulations on, on commercial speech activities stem from a time when commercial speech was difficult to um, actually express. We are now in a time, and this is 15, 10, 15 years old, right. where everyone has a platform. Right. So your Instagram account, not yours, but Nick's Instagram account. Hey. It's MySpace. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Nick's Instagram account has a lot of followers, right? So he is his own brand. He might have more followers than some news entities. I do a lot of unboxing. Now, now what <laughs> is the purpose of, of someone's individual Instagram account? Well, it, it's partially expression. They might get paid through ad revenue, they might have a, a larger influence because of that expression. But at what point does something go from purely expressive to purely commercial? It's, it's a very difficult question. It's one that the courts have been struggling with for, for a long time. And in fact, they've said that when you have something that's so interwined, expressive and non-expressive or commercial activity, mm -hmm. you have to apply the higher standard, which is a, a strict scrutiny standard. Mm -hmm. Because you can't regulate the a higher standard meaning a higher constitutional standard right so it's more protective of the speech it's it's more protective of the speech because we'd rather let some commercial speech in in order not to stifle the non-commercial speech and and then you can also get into a question there was a case called reed versus town of gilbert in 2015 mm -hmm. which in some ways threw up the question of is commercial speech and regulation specifically on commercial speech subject to a lower standard of constitutional protection, um, the court said in, in, in it, it perhaps may not be because if you need to analyze the face of a document, if you need to analyze the, the, the speech being said, then it is necessarily, in some viewpoints, a, a content-based restriction. Right. And you can't have content-based restrictions. So the Internet has made the first application of the First Amendment very difficult um, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Take that rule book, Justin, and throw it out the window. Or you probably already did throw it out the window. Okay, so... I don't even have a window. <laughs> you're in a windowless room. We're going to move... We're going to sh shift gears here, but only slightly, because we're going to take some of these thoughts into our 1v1 showdown, <laughs> where, Justin, you're going to be Nick's champion, okay? Nick, Nick is just throwing you in the ring with me, so good luck. Yeah. And so, so we're going to debate... Is the FTC getting I feel it right? Safe here. I, I think the question should be, based on our conversation, is the FTC getting it right in with the with the level at which it's regulating endorsements with with online influencers in the gaming space and other spaces, but you know, focusing on this space. Once you take it off, you think that they they I don't know. You just tell me how you feel. Well, like your John Lennon question, I'm going to disagree with the premise. And, 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 and pose my own. This is why we invited you, Jason. Be, be, because, because here's the problem. To say they're getting it right or they're getting it not right, they're getting it right sometimes and then sometimes they're not. But okay. what, what they are primarily concerned about, or almost exclusively concerned about, is the public being deceived. So what they're doing is they're saying we are going after clearly egregious violations of the FTC 
clearly deceptive marketing practices, and then those are going to be applied to everyone else. And they're going to give some guidelines, and the guidelines are just agency guidelines. I mean, they're not legislation. So it, it, you end up having to read tea leaves. You know, in, in the newspaper, there, there's a, a whole line of cases regarding newspaper advertisements. And the question is, is a newspaper needs to run advertisements in order to fund its news gathering activities. So does the fact that the newspaper has advertisements in it mean that it is commercial speech? or that it's quasi-commercial speech, and the courts have said no. The articles or the ads? Well, the ads themselves would, would, would certainly be um, commercial, but the newspaper, is it a, a, a commercial, um, is it commercial expression or is it not commercial? Or is it a, a mixture of both? The answer is it's, it's, it's pure expression. A newspaper is pure expression, even though it needs to sell ads. So if I have a blog, right, and the blog takes in Google ad revenue, or I allow someone to donate money to me through, you know, uh, an API plugin. Does that mean that what I'm doing is less expressive? Well, what if my blog is a lifestyle brand? And what if my lifestyle brand requires that I have uh, certain, you know, clothing brands or drive certain cars? Well, at some point, my brand becomes so big that I'm getting access to a, you know, to, to more of those types of, of uh, um, uh, clothes and, and, and those types of materials. And it becomes very hard to determine where that line is. Now, it's, it's easy when you say, okay, Scott Disick was being paid to make a smoothie on his Instagram page, right. and he needs to say that. But there's a whole world of people who don't have his level of influence. But, you know, I, I listen to a lot of, uh, I watch a lot of YouTube woodworking videos. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, really, I would have guessed that. Yeah. So, um, there's a guy uh, named Steve Ramsey. Now, he starts every episode with a commercial for something called Microjig. Now, he's been doing so many episodes that the Microjig gag has become a core part of the video. At what, at what point... Is he going to plug it in? Well, I mean, I, th he's, I think he's already getting paid for it, or maybe he's just getting free Microjigs, which are a thing that allow you to safely move through a, a table saw. But the point is that we are experimenting with content creation for the first time in, in, in a large scale in human history. And it, necessarily, the traditional commercial advertising rules are not going to apply easily. And that's why, friends, if you have these types of questions, you should call Nick and ask for Steve <laughs> and tell him to connect you to me, and we can, we can help you out. And that's why this is a commercial speech, uh, exercise of commercial speech, this podcast. Nick, yeah. did I win? The one-on-one? -on -one? Well, I'm well, pretty sure. We, Thank we you. don't we don't call it like that. We you know let the listeners maybe weigh in. They can leave their comments. But I will transition this way. Shout but out to the listener. We're we're going <laughs> to be we're going to be going over some takeaways right now. And one of the things you'll f see as a common theme is that these guidelines are all fact specific, context specific. Because as Justin just pointed out, this is really difficult to put a bright line on. The FTC has tried to an extent, but it also recognizes, and you can see this throughout the guidelines, that these are fact-specific questions and that these are just general guidelines. They are just guidelines. So, Nick, why don't you start off and tell us some takeaways that someone could take from this episode about FTC influencer rules. Sure. So, for most people, these rules are not really going to apply directly because most people, when they share information, it's with family, friends, coworkers, etc., and not with the entire world on the internet. But if you are part of a network or a program that receives free products or other perks with the expectation that you'll then promote or endorse or even discuss the advertiser's products, then the rules might apply. And so, you know, the most important thing is to know the FTC endorsement guidelines or, as 
Justin pointed out, you could work with a wise attorney that knows something about them. And so we actually pulled the FTC has some express recommendations uh, for social media influencers. You can find it on their website. Do's and don'ts. Do's and don'ts. The highlights are, as we said, you have to clearly disclose when you have a financial or a family relationship with a brand. You have to ensure that that disclosure is hard to miss. Uh, you need to make sure that to treat your sponsored tags like any other tag. You can't bury it within uh, others hoping that it won't get noticed. And on image-only platforms like Snapchat, you have to superimpose your disclosures also, over the images. That also goes for Twitch and other video streams that they've made guidelines as to that as well. Right. So they, you know, the FTC, of course, is going to suggest that you're loud and proud about any sorts of endorsements. Now, now look, I'm, I'm going to jump in because I, I don't like uh, too much time between me speaking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, do you guys know who Bad Baby is? I feel like I'm about to. B-H-A-D? No. B-H-A-B-I-E. So Bad Baby, otherwise known as the Cash Me Outside girl from Dr. Phil. Ah, Do you remember her? Okay, Cash Me Outside? One, How yeah. about that? So she has become, you guys are old so you don't know this, she has become a huge star, a rapper. She's a 15-year-old rapper, gangster really? rapper. I, I so, can definitely say I did not know that. So, so she has a video that came out last week called Bestie featuring the rapper Kodak Black, the rapper DMX, you might know from, from middle school, uh, makes a, a, a I hear a dogs barking. <laughs> a, a cameo, a, a cameo appearance. In that, halfway through the video, the music stops, and someone says, "Bad baby, it's time for your product placement." And there's a 45 second commercial in the middle of this vi video no. wow. that has something like 8.5 million views in like the last week. Where she she goes and she promotes a couple products and at the end she goes okay I'm done with this let's get back to the song wow and then she goes back to the song now is that required is it required is that required oh to be in, right in the middle this is my product placement. right now 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 take another example um, I'm the one by DJ Khaled do you guys know who DJ Khaled is of course right I know DJ he, Khaled a song one. with I'm I'm the one um, Justin Bieber's in it Chance the Rapper's in it yeah. Quavo's from the Migos group is in it. There, there are product placements in all of his videos, including that one. There's, but are you are you confused by what they're doing? I think that's really the point of well, you disclose. I don't know if I'm sitting on if I have an Instagram post and I'm lying back, wearing a Ferrari shirt on a Ferrari in front of a Ferrari showroom. Do I need to now put a watermark that says paid advertisement? No, I'm sure I don't. You better you, you better consult with someone about well, but these here, guidelines. Because here, 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 I do. <laughs> um, so because here, here's bit rarries are called bit rari. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I actually only have a Lambo. Oh, yeah, because oh, right. uh, I'm I'm a crypto okay. guy. But the the point is that the government cannot tell you how, what to create in your art. Well, apparently so, they so, can. Well, but they can tell you not to mislead people. Well, right? sure, but where is where is that line? And the problem is that we're talking about agency guidelines, this guideline from the source of the Federal Trade Commission may have been drafted by an, an intern there and then put on the website. This isn't legislation. So we're now taking this and then we're chilling speech and we're forcing people to change the way they, they produce art and they communicate online. There's certainly clear-cut, you know, there's something, there's certainly clear-cut applications of this where you need to disclose something. But commercial material um, products, individual and, and, and uh, corporate brands are all moving towards one type of, 
of uh, expression on the internet. Is and it art though? Is it all art? I don't know what art is. I mean, is is Campbell's soup art? If if Warhol paints it on a on a canvas. Now what? If, them, yeah. Now what? What if? Okay, so here's here's a, uh, something interesting. What if Andy Warhol was walking through the Campbell Soup uh, corporate factory, and I they would said, "I'd be happy that he was alive." Right. Ooh. Me too. That's good. <laughs> what what if he? What? But what if he was him and Basquiat? They were they were go there and go Andy. We love you. Here's a, a can of Campbell's soup on the house. And he took that and he goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to paint it. And then he painted it. And then that sold at auction for, for millions and millions and of dollars. And he didn't disclose that he, he, got, disclose that he got that Campbell's soup for free. It's, it's, it's very hard to, to derive intent. And that's what we're trying to do with these guidelines. And that's why you should call Nick and ask for Steve and have Steve <laughs> connect you to me. So, so at the end of the day, though, if you don't know, if you're unsure, I mean, it's as simple as company X gave me this product to try. Mm-hmm. Uh, the FTC says normally that'll be good enough. And I, and I know that we can keep debating over whether or not we should even be doing this, but these are the takeaways. And the takeaway is really that plus really understand that these standards apply across the board. They include online influencers on Twitch and YouTube. And whether you think they should or not. Yes. And so there are specific things you can do for that you have to do for Instagram we talked about it earlier about putting the, spon- the, the disclaimer above the more button, uh, not burying the sponsorship uh, in, a, in, in hashtags, although Twitter, you can maybe get away with some of that. The, uh, and, and also hyperlinks to disclosure slash legal and you know, saying that they could just click on that link won't really, they're not sufficient. So again, this is all you know, content and facts specific. So Nick, why don't you give us some takeaways for advertisers? Sure. So, you know, Think about revising your written influencer plan, especially if it does, you know, if it doesn't include the FTC's most recent guideline recommendations, uh, and lay some ground rules. The FTC recommends not encouraging endorsements that use features that don't allow for clear and conspicuous disclosures, like the Facebook like button. Uh, the endorsement should reflect honest opinions and experiences, so it's not a good tr- good idea to try to encourage positive reviews by promising a discount on items or something like that. Uh, Train your teams on the rules so that all the way up and down the chain, people aren't violating them. Monitor your influencers. Don't just fire it and forget, because remember, uh, these penalties can apply all the way up the chain. And, you know, most important, if you receive an FTC education or warning letter, do not ignore it, okay? It's always a good idea to retain counsel to help to respond to one of those. So this was a lot of fun. Justin, thank you so much for your time and, and coming on the show and uh, being here with us. We really appreciate I it. I learned a lot, especially about uh, recent rap songs. Yeah, thank Bad you Baby. That. Shout out to Bad Baby. <laughs> so be on the lookout for other episodes of our Land Party Lawyers podcast from season one. And uh, Nick, I don't have anything else. Do you? That's all I got. So until next time. Game on. Game on. You've been listening to the Land Party Lawyers podcast series with Steve Blickensterfer and Nick Brown. To learn more about our e-gaming and e-sports practice, visit carltonfields.com. This podcast is intended for general information and educational purposes only and should not be relied on as if it were advice about a particular fact situation. The distribution of this podcast is not intended to create and receipt of it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship with Carlton Fields. Thanks for listening.